Thanks for downloading this podcast. podcast. It's for personal use only and must not be rebroadcast, reproduced or used in any form without permission. Tell your friends they can get their own copy by searching iTunes for Radio Le Mans or visiting RadioLeMans.com. The world's longest running motorsport magazine show, Midweek Motorsport. News, features, special guests and analysis from the experts. Formula One, sports car and endurance racing, rallying, touring cars and bikes. If it has wheels and an engine and they keep score, it's on Midweek Motorsport. Hello everybody and welcome along to Midweek Motorsport where the time in the UK is just after 8 o'clock although where I am, once again, I'm up early in the morning it's getting a bit ridiculous, I'm afraid You could always come home And I, I'm on, I'll be on my way very shortly actually is the answer to that question Thank you Tim, who is up in London Tim, on a packed show tonight we have what? We have all the usual features Excellent I should have said, by the way, that this is uh, Series 14, Episode 16 already. Where is the year going? All the oh, usual features including... through the year. Yes, exactly. Uh, what have we got? Uh, all the usual features. We've got news. Uh, we might have some news in Spanish. What we haven't had for a while is a pointless press release. Ooh. No game shows tonight, though. Uh, and we do have a big interview, of course, because that's the usual feature now. Okay, fine. Um, are you going to tell people what the big interview is, or are they going to find that out on, in about 57 minutes' time when we do Still to Come? Uh, about 57 minutes' time, yes. <laughs> right, okay. That, uh, that sounds reasonable. Keep them key. Um, yeah, yes, I like it. I like it. Keep people locked in. Uh, and just to prove we're live, Tim has some sports scores. It's 1-1. Latest motorsport news from around the world. Midweek Motorsport. We are tonight going to start with Formula One news. Hooray! I hope I faded up. Yeah, you were. Oh. A little bit too much, I think. Uh, <laughs> Nick Damon, that is our Formula One correspondent. Good evening, Nick. Good evening, Tim. Good evening, John. Good evening, listening world out in Etherland. Uh, it's not. I mean, I say we're starting with Formula One. It's not been a brilliant week for Formula One news. We are scraping the barrel a bit uh, as we go later on into the show. But we'll start with a story that's reasonably big. Basically, we are like every single Formula One website then. Yeah. Honda have got some new engines for Baku. They have, and, and obviously we're very used to Honda having new engines, normally because the previous engine has bits of itself inside itself, or the electrical bit has fizzed and pinged, or something has caught fire, or you know, or it just wasn't very good. Um, all the Honda teams, so that's two teams, so the four cars of uh, Toro Rosso and uh, Red Bull, are getting their first change of engine in round four. Um, a change, apparently, in a very... Well, apart from like, Kriat, who's already had an engine change. No, he's hit a new one as well. They're all getting a new one. So that's a Kriat. Kriat's Kriat, so his last engine already. Oh, can I cough, by the way? Probably <coughs> 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 that. I was fine for about half an hour. And the peanut went around, went around the wrong way just before I started. Um, that's not a euphemism. It was a peanut. Um, 
so yes, yeah, so they, they are introducing an engine for reliability, durability, a little bit of power. Um, so yeah, so basically, they, 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 the, the, the kind of the accepted wisdom was even by um, those team top team complainers, uh, Red Bull, who used to moan when their Renault engines had a problem last year. That to enable continued fast development and catching up with uh, Mercedes and Ferrari's engines, they would almost certainly uh, take more than three engines during the season, not for reliability reasons, but just to uh, get because of, of a large number of performance upgrades. Because F1 cars are limited to three engines per season, a stupid rule in my opinion. Uh, and obviously, when they bring out the new engines, the new engines being you know, three, four months since the last one normally have a number of upgrades on them. So they are, every time these new engines come out, they've got a little bit of extra oomph. I think Honda last year released about 111 engines. Um, and it, basically, towards the end of the year, you just saw Toro Rosso permanently at the back because they're taking a new engine. Um, so, yes, yeah, so it's, it's going to be a reliability upgrade, a durability upgrade, a functional upgrade and a little bit of power. Um, so they're going to be even closer. And Christian Horn will say things like, oh, it wasn't for the fact that Ferrari's fuel smells of pineapple with Winnie. Does Ferrari's fuel really smell of pineapple? Apparently Ferrari's fuel does smell of something fruity, but it, there's nothing wrong with it because all the chemical... It's not like they've, But basically, what, what doesn't happen is they turn up with this secret amount of... Uh, you know, in a barrel. They, they smuggle it around the back in a tin-tin-style um, mystery. And they just pour it at the last minute and no one knows what it is. Um, because obviously what actually happens is that all the fuel has to be homologated. So whilst it is it is not obviously um, exactly like you would find in your local garage, it is still what's called pump fuel, which means the actual run rating, the bang rating, is the same as you get with a for a normal car. And um, it's quite yeah, so it's quite really interesting that they are effectively um, resharpening the tool of uh, fuel. And and this, the answer is right. It's it's interesting the fact that when them. Do you remember the first year of, of turbo engines, uh, hybrids? Um, you and mean hybrid turbos, the the recent innovation rather than actual turbos, which have been around for hundreds of, well, decades. Well, decades, yeah. When the turbo hybrids came in uh, in the first year, and as you all know, a lot of had problems, um, Mercedes was servicing four teams. They were servicing um, four engines they were called then. They were servicing Williams. They were servicing themselves. And they actually did, did one year with McLaren before McLaren had Honda. And but McLaren insisted on not on using Petronas fuel, but on using their own fuel, which I think might be mobile, but I could be wrong. And because they hadn't got the correct fuel, they were 40 horsepower down on the others, just because Ron has always wanted to do it Ron's way and wasn't prepared to put Petronas fuel and just put a sticker saying mobile one on the barrel. So fuel is incredibly important. And a lot of the gains recently have come from understanding fuel. And a lot of people think that Ferrari's power advantage is mostly the fuel but hence the reason they can't always get it out during the race because it's also a little bit more thirsty so um with honda and and, and also uh bring upgrades and working on their fuel at all their fuel as well there'll be a lot of things moving forward over the next couple of couple of races but i think you know the, the, the effective pecking order is the problem they have is is that the others aren't standing still either and is is ferrari's fuel really made by shell yes of course it is Shell's a massive conglomerate. They've, they've got enough. Uh, they'll have enough super secret, tiny laboratories doing special stuff just for motorsport. Absolutely. Shell keeps sending me things which are definitely candidates for pointless press release of the week. Quite often involving Charles Leclerc. Uh, yeah, they do. They, they, I do. I do feel. If you look at if you look at the the Ferrari, I'm going to ask you a question. Okay, so we've got Shell. 
So apart from the, um, the, the, the fag company, can you tell me who are the two other major Ferrari sponsors? Uh, there's a watch company, isn't there? No. Not no. major one. No. They do have Hublot, but that's not their main one. They have three main sponsors on the side board. One is the big old Shell. Shell and there's two other sponsors who have been there for a few years now. But who are they? And this is, do you get any traction of being a Ferrari sponsor is the question. Well, not for me, clearly, because uh, I, I, I could remember that there was a watch and clearly it was um, Hublot that you mentioned. Is Tic Tac a Ferrari sponsor? They were. Well done. Well back in about 2003. But not so, anymore. No. Now, the two which we have now are Ray-Ban, um, which, of course, is the front of the, um, the Luminex um, people who actually own every single glasses brand in the world and have effectively cornered the glasses market, sunglasses market, and UPS. So they have these big yeah. sponsors who are getting no traction now. So that's why Shell are desperately trying to tell you all about it, because they're trying to activate the multi, 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 multi millions. They're not going to do it by telling me that uh, Charles Leclerc uh, drove a cart on an ice rink in a shopping centre near Shanghai. No, but they'll send that to enough people. And because it's a slow week, someone on someone, some w- will someone will have run that. I have seen someone running that story. And don't forget, there are so many... Um, uh, websites now which are just either repeating news or using anything they can get to try and get a little bit of traction so that one will be all over the shop probably probably that's the biggest news in i don't know chinese f1 and monogasque f1 circles this week uh, staying with engines and renault Run. yes uh, they've got an engine it will be the best power unit in formula one in the future says uh, renault special advisor alain prost did you say that did he had, he had the best unit in Formula 1? TM. <laughs> um, it doesn't say when in the future. No, and I think that's just as well, really. It's kind of a nebulous sort of statement. You know, if he actually said when, we, when it's likely to happen, which is 2072, um, I don't know. I, I mean, I'm not sure the context he said that. Realistically, at the moment, we're all expecting Honda to go past them and put them into last, and it's, it's debatable whether Honda actually are behind them or not at the moment. Um, Ferrari are comfortably ahead in in peak power whether whether they're so far ahead in race trim power is is questionable um then you've got mercedes who are obviously very powerful and and very reliable then you've got honda who are st- who are st- now on a, for the second year in a row on a, a very steep upward curve of power generation drivability which is key and also working to get the reliability sorted out and you've got Renault who have yes they've added some more power over the uh, the winter but they seem to fall into even more reliability issues with the MG UK so you know when the car the car is competitive in the midfield it's not losing globs of time but it's now got a reliability issue so obviously compared to 2014 the first year again the turbo hydro era uh, Tim um, the, the best of the worst is a much narrower uh, gauge but there's still you know a good few horses between them and and i haven't really noticed renault catching up as quickly as they perhaps they think they should have done but how they're going to be best i've no idea well the, the mg uk that you mentioned they changed it for china and it still went wrong for at least one of their cars didn't it hulkenberg wasn't it that, yes, that uh, was a, that was a software error right so i'm wondering if that was a software error the same way that the honda alternator failed just after the piston blew it off the side of the car well, it may be, I mean, we have seen uh, in the past uh, problems with the incompatible software. Maybe Hulkenberg was running the software for the old MG UK uh, and not the new one. 
yeah, I mean, I, you know, they, they, they are on acceler- the problem is they have this accelerated development, and sometimes things get missed. So, um, yeah, I've got, I'm not, I don't, I'm not going to bash uh, Renault. They're, they're giving it a go. They're not, they're not giving up. They're not sitting around. I mean, the, the only good thing, that good, the only really nice thing for Renault is they haven't got to listen to Christian Horner moaning about them anymore. That's got to be worth a few million quid in its own. Uh, let's move on to away from engines on to aerodynamics uh, because Ferrari have announced that they've got some aerodynamic uh, improvements for Baku. Yes, Ferrari have announced we're fed up with everyone saying we're, we're having a rotten season and being bashed in the Italian press. So we'll put out something that's blatantly obvious in that we bought a few tweaks to Baku when everyone else is bringing tweaks every week. So there's the, it's, yeah, the, the major update thing appears to be a bit of a thing of the past for the big teams. The major update thing appears to be a lot more what the medium-sized teams do. The, um, the top teams bring out bits and bobs every race um some stuff obviously is to specifically suit the track and some which is a general improvement as they go along because they've got the money to do it and they've got the resources to turn new bits around in a couple of weeks rather than looking to do a package that changed everything in one go so i would be very surprised if ferrari hadn't got some new bits and hadn't bought some stuff out there's a rumor they need a completely new rear wing i mean you see that that is available that's quite short term is my guess is that will take another couple of weeks to go but they could have been pulling all nighters and and doing what they can um, Baku you know, not uh, going to uh, punish their rear wing, though, is it? No, I mean, it's the longest straight of the year, 1.2 kilometres. Um, it's got a couple of fast sectors, and then, of course, it has a very slow section as well. Now, theoretically, and this is obviously as far as we can go with this season, because so far, barring the qualifying performances um, by Ferrari in, in, and, and the start of the race in Bahrain, it's all gone against what we kind of thought before we came there. Um Theoretically, this should suit the Ferraris down to a T, that where their straight line speed trade off against ultimate downforce will be less damaging for them overall lap time than it was in China. So they should have little or no issue in, in, in doing well and, and, and possibly claiming pole. And then we'll have to see if we have another barnstorming Baku race. Two, we had two great ones in a row. Uh, the first one, if anyone remembers, was actually awful. But um, yeah, we've had two good ones. So let's, let's hope we. Um, get another one and of course it's not quite so good news for for sebastian fettel because he's charlotte clure is actually he's actually a baku specialist because he won in formula two there and had his his breakthrough result in formula one last year with the uh, sauber as well so i think charles is going in full of confidence i have no idea where where fettel's head is because he's just constantly being criticized by everybody when he doesn't throw it off the road he's criticized because ferrari team orders allow him to get past leclerc so he's, he's been going criticized to... by uh, max verstappen this week What's Max said about him? I didn't see that one. He said he's not all that. Well, a little bit dismissive. and but he's... Whereas Christian Horner said Max Verstappen is at the top of his game. So Well, yeah, I mean, Max, you know, Vettel is not all that at the moment. Hasn't been all that, you could argue, since to- the end of 2013. And he kind of had a bit of a flourish again in, I think, 16 as well. But, um, yeah, he's not, he's not got anywhere near the heady heights of his four back-to-back titles. Where you know, and, and it's not just that he's not had the car. He's, you know, as we know, it's well publicised. He's had uh, issues. Well, I call them mental issues. It just sounds a bit kind of dramatic. But you, know, I mean, concentration issues, overreaction issues, that sort of thing. Um, obviously, it always helps to put a little bit of extra pressure on someone. So they've, they've, so yeah, let's let's get Max to give him a bit of a kick in while he's down, and that just puts an extra. Uh, they're hoping put an extra doubt in his head if he comes to do it. You know, so. Um, 
Yeah, I feel sorry for Vettel. He's not a bad driver. He's just, you know, not in a very good run of form and being paid a huge amount of money to be the leader of the most glamorous team in F1, comprehensively beaten by Lewis and now massively challenged by his teammate. And then when you're being, when you've already on a, people are on a downer on you, then you're given an advantage over a bloke who seems to be quicker just because you're older and you've been there out more. It's just negative off and negative off and negative. And whereas a lot of drivers can cocoon themselves away from that sort of pressure. It does appear that Fettel isn't one of them. He needs to have the arm round. He needs the total support of his team. And however much Benito may say, yeah, he's my number one, you you know for a fact there are people in the garage who are looking at him and thinking, but this is the bloke who blew last year's championship. This is the bloke who's already blown a race this year. And they're thinking, well, perhaps we should really transfer our allegiance over to the other side of the garage. And he's got to try and find a way of leading that team from a position where he's already rattled. And I, you know, I don't have much sympathy for F1 drivers. They've got a lovely job and being paid a large amount of money. But, you know, he's got a very difficult situation at the moment. Alan Pross on Twitter says, Well, Nick, of course it was accelerated development. It was accelerated through the engine block and then developed a fault. <laughs> That's the one. <laughs> Quite a lot of that goes on. <laughs> Let's move on to Antonio Giovinazzi, a driver. I, I get the impression from talking to you, Nick, that Giovinazzi is uh, not a driver you rate particularly highly. Well, you know, he's come through, basically, he's he's in, he was in the Ferrari development driver camp, and, you know, he had that thing that's very useful for Ferrari driver drivers, he was Italian. Um, he got an early chance last, uh, year before last, with Sauber and threw it off the track twice, uh, when he was replacing Pascal Verline. I think he was reasonably good in the first race, when Verline had that um, uh, concussion from the race of champions. Uh, and the second race, Sauber, he crashed it twice in 10 minutes, and then didn't look very good. He's never looked as quick um, as Leclerc, even prior to getting in, and, and so therefore Leclerc got the promotion into the Sauber team last year and now into Ferrari. He's kind of a bit of a, bit of a, a make way, and he's being com- comprehensively beaten by Kimi Raikkonen. But though the team's been very sweet to him, go, it's not it's not his fault. We're not giving him a d- decent run. The car's got some problems and everything else. And yeah, in fairness to him, again, some of the reasons he's not done so well in some of the parts has been down to to failures. But when he's had the car running correctly, he hasn't looked very. He hasn't looked particularly impressive to me. What did he do in China? Uh, ooh, in the I'm, race. In the race? Uh, Five letters tra- begins with C. <laughs> I'm sorry, was it... Was it I was, yeah, crashed. Crash. Yes. Did he crash into? I can't remember. Frederick Vasseur uh, says, Baku means crashes and safety cars and overtaking, so you'll never know what to expect from the race. Well, crashes and safety cars and overtaking, Frederick. That's what you'll Sounds expect. Like and obviously, don't forget, you'll also have uh, Roman Grosjean blaming a driver who was uh, uh, about 10 seconds behind him for punting him off the track in the safety car. Uh, our target is clear. We've put a lot of work into the development of our performance since China, uh, so we want to finish in the points with both cars. Is that going to happen? No, they'll Kimi will score points again unless he gets punted off the track, which has happened to him a couple of times. No, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a, yeah, it's always a good... The Baku race the last couple of years has been fantastic, so there's a good chance that we'll see another... another, another very eventful, event-filled race. Obviously, Red Bull won't want a repeat of last year where their two cars took each other out, but as it's very, very unlikely that Pierre Gasly would be anywhere near Max Verstappen at any point like Danny Rick would be, obviously, unless he's being lapped at the time, um, that shouldn't happen. Uh, Haas have announced uh, the appointment of a new simulator driver. It is a thin week, isn't it? Isn't it? <laughs> yes, it's... Um, it's, it's the only uh, story to come out of Haas this week, though. Really? Oh, it's uh, it's it's um, son of Jean Denis Delitraz, Louis Delitraz from uh, Le Bon, Switzerland. Uh, 
And happy birthday to Louis uh, Delatraz, uh, who was 22 18. two days ago. 22 should have retired. So way too old to be getting into F1 these days. That's what happens when you spend uh, three years in Formula 2 after a season in GP2, having already done three seasons of Formula Renault Northern European Championship. He did three seasons of Formula Renault. Was he, was he, was he doing them as tribute to you? Because obviously, we, as we all know, the Formula Renault Northern European Championship, now defunct, and I know for a fact, didn't you, didn't you take it to your bed? Uh, with a bad, with a bad head cold for, for many weeks after he found out that wasn't running anymore. Um, he did three years in that, did he? Yes, he finished second in the middle year. Oh, well, what then dropped way again from second and third year? Uh, Louis Delatraz will be uh, driving a simulator for Haas in Italy, probably. Nah, sure, it's been Bista, won't it? No, it could be. So, that's a good point. Will the, will the simulator be where the chassis is made in Dallara, or will the simulator be where the race team is based in England? That's an inter- See, that's the information we need that wasn't, I guess, in the press release. No. Well, that's shocking, isn't it? See, we, we actually we, suddenly we were interested in what was going on, and they didn't provide us with the nuts and bolts answer. Uh, it's not uh, Louis' first uh, experience with Haas, is it? No, he had a test, didn't he? Was it last year? Yeah, the Pirelli tyre test at the end of last year. Yes, it's him and their other young driver is um, Fittipaldi, isn't it? Pietro Fittipaldi. Do you think they're just employing drivers who've got famous relatives? Employing drivers who have a check, to be honest. And I don't mean Thomas Enger. Um, Yeah, I mean, I don't know whether Pietro Fittipaldi is... It may well be he is a genuine signing and they're genuinely looking to to promote him. I rate Pietro Fittipaldi very highly. Well then, but I'm sure Louis Delitraz is uh, knocking about with a few quid to spend. And I'm not sure how much it costs to be the simulator driver. I'm not even sure, you know. Yeah, being the simulator, I was just wondering, if I go to Ferrari World in Dubai and drive one of their simulators, am I a Ferrari simulator driver? I don't know. Who is as good as Ayrton Senna? Uh, well, according to Gerhard Berger, it's Lewis Hamilton. And but according is that, is to you? That, well, is that a compliment? How good is Ayrton Senna, is the question. I would say Hamilton was better than Senna. Uh, I think so as well. But that's an unpopular... That's a very unpopular um, statement amongst the canonizers of the Senna. Um, I think Berger and, might have been better than Senna. No, that's a ridiculous thing to say. Um, no, he wasn't. Um, I think the thing about... It's very, very difficult. If we'll get back to this whole thing about comparing eras and everything else. But... You know, Ayrton Senna, whether you think he was great, whether you think he was average, whether you think he was just, you know, he had a number of dubious performances. Um, is he better than Schumacher? Is he worse than Schumacher? Is Schumacher better than, you know, is Schumacher now in more fondly because of the tragedy of his accident? Certainly Senna is canonised because he, he died at the wheel. You know, we can try and pussyfoot around it, but if he was st- if if which we, I personally much prefer he was still around now and perhaps running a team, whatever it was, he wouldn't be held anything like the same sort of idolatry status well, outside Brazil. Um, and this is a problem comparing drivers. I think, you know, Hamilton has got the qualifying record. Hamilton has the is chasing on the win record which held by Schumacher and, and therefore statistically is, is you know, in, in, in the era where you have more races, so it's you know, numbers are easy to get. Is, is looking very impressive. Um, it's difficult because it's, it's about who you're racing against, about when you're racing, it's about how good the competition was, it's about how you take your opportunities. You know, coming out of 2013, I reckon everyone thought, you know, Sebastian Vettel was going to become the, the greatest driver of all time. He won four championships back-to-back. He's about 25 at the time. But then it's just 
disappeared once you know and we've now realized that mark webber wasn't very good and the car was very when the car was very good you know because but senna obviously has done a number of things it wasn't marshall that went made mistakes drove really well um you know it was about it was facing his challenge with from from the, the new guns of michael schumacher in 94 when his the, the tragic accident uh occurred which of course we're coming up the 25th, 25th anniversary of in about a week's time um, and that's the sadness. It doesn't really matter who's better or who worse. The sad thing is that you know, that that, that Ayrton lost his life at the wheel. Um, and you know, to many people, he's the greatest ever. To me, you know, he probably wouldn't make my top five. But it's just me. I I can be as wrong as the people who think he's head and shoulders above everyone else. The news that no one is talking about. The stories that aren't reported anywhere else. And for valid editorial reasons. Pointless press release of the week on Midweek Motorsport. Uh, there were a few nominees this week. Really? Uh, yeah, that Alan Prost one was uh, pretty close to winning. <laughs> well, that was more just ridiculous statement with no... With no um... Uh, sort of time frame attached to it. With just one year to go before Formula One powers up the first Vietnam Grand Prix, Aston Martin Red Bull Racing revved up the anticipation with a second visit to the country. Pardon? Thanks what, to, uh, sorry, sorry, is this now just a holiday report? Thanks to our good friends at Heineken. Uh, we unleashed a double dose of Formula One power with Grand Prix legend David Coulthard and Aston Martin Red Bull Racing simulated development driver Jake Dennis burning right. up the streets of next year's race venue Hanoi. Can you say burning up the streets when you're talking about Vietnam? Probably Is it best too not soon. I, I I do think those sort of references possibly a little bit indelicate. Uh, Formula One's newest street circuit right. will feature a high-speed 22-corner layout, part of which flows past the Maidin National Stadium, and it was on this stretch of road that DC and Jake were let loose in a pair of V8-powered RB7s. Where is that from? What's the RB7 from? About 2012, was it? 10, 11, 12, yeah. Well, obviously prior to 2014. Um, so basically, they've got two old cars, and an old driver and a new, a young driver, and they've gone up and they've driven up a public road, because obviously Hanoi is, I think, is, is going to, I think it's all public road. I think it's some public road and a bit of a dedicated track. Uh, in a sweltering day in the Vietnamese capital, the audience steadily grew until showtime at 7pm when more than 50,000 fans had packed the length of the specially constructed 700 metre long track. Obviously, not much going on in Vietnam on uh, on that day. It was very warm out there, said DC, but it was really great to have the chance to do it. He's a good boy, isn't he? He'll, he'll, yeah, he'll, turn, up the, he'll turn up the opening of an envelope with this, this checker trashed. Meanwhile, for Jake Dennis, it had truly been a night to remember. It was a pretty cool experience. But it wasn't. It's been going about how warm it was. The fans here have been incredible. The donuts at the end were great fun. Oh, I believe there were over 50,000 people here, which is amazing. I definitely won't forget it. So he was going to say the donuts at the end were really tasty. Uh, it's only a year until the first Vietnamese Grand Prix. Yes. Is it going to be this time of year, is it? Uh, it's going to be in April, because we obviously don't know next year's Formula 1 calendar, but uh, we do now know that uh, Vietnam will be uh, towards the start of it. Ah, so it's going to come in... What, after China? Uh, maybe, yeah. Maybe back-to-back weekends. Mm-hmm. That'd make sense, wouldn't it? I'm sure the teams would love being away all that time in, in, in far-flung places at the start of the season when they want to fiddle with their cars. But you can't. 
Uh, we move from Formula One calendar news to MotoGP calendar news. Ooh. Uh, because Mark Marquez believes a race in Mexico is inevitable. Well, nothing, nothing's inevitable. Um, okay, uh, do you know why he believes that? Because, of course, Mark, Mexico is struggling to find the money to pay for its F1 Grand Prix at the moment, and, and I don't know it as a centre of motorcycle sport. Well, according to uh, Marquez, the uh, only problem at the moment with the Antodromo Hermanos Rodriguez uh, is mm-hmm. safety. Well, that's quite a big problem, isn't it, really? It has uh, no runoff in most corners. And how are they going to build the runoff from a track that has been carved out of an existing baseball stadium? We know there's a chance to race there very soon, and of course we'd be very happy about a race in Mexico, said Marquez. But first, the security concerns have to be eliminated. Trackside operators are working with the Safety Commission on this matter, so I think the Mexico GP will come sooner or later. I can't help thinking that Marquez didn't say any of those words in either English or Spanish. I think that might be as vague as Alan Prost's Renault will be the best engine in the future. Do you really think that Marquez said the sentence trackside safety operatives? Or, yeah, no, no. Someone said, someone his, his PR team at Honda have gone, Mark, do you want to go and race in Mexico? And he's gone, hey, yeah, you pay me, I go anywhere. Yeah, Mark's really in favour. Mexico is one of just a number of new circuits coming to uh, motorbike racing. Are, they all, are the rest all in Spain? Uh, no, none of them in Spain. We've talked already about Indonesia... Uh, yeah. We mentioned that Slide last year yep. and again earlier this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's uh, likely to be on the calendar next year, but it might be 2021. Right. Okay. Uh, there's a test scheduled for this summer for Finland's new track, the Kimi Ring. Is it really called the Kimi Ring? It's really called the Kimi Ring. Uh, you may remember if you're a dedicated listener to Midweek Motorsport that Sam Collins has spoken about that one before. Right, okay. Well, if Sam has spoken about it, it must be true. Um, so the Kimmy Ring. Okay. The Kimmy Ring. Uh, and uh, there's also a possibility of a date in Kazakhstan. Are they, are they just putting a map of the world up and throwing darts at it and going, yeah, we'll go there. Uh, where's that one? Stan? Ka- yeah, that's one. Kazakhstan. Okay. Well, I mean, we've got Baku and, and Azerbaijan. Why shouldn't we have Kazakhstan? Kazakhstan, it may uh, turn out that World Superbikes gets to go there first as a as a, like a guinea pig before MotoGP tries it out. Right. Okay. Well, that's, 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 let's see by how much the Ducati wins there then. Uh, staying on two wheels, Moto E is yes. going to have its first pre-season test in June, ahead of uh, the very much delayed start of its inaugural season, uh, due to the fact that all the bikes were destroyed by a big fire at Hareth. Literally risen from the flames. The phoenix from the flames of Moto E, yes. So it's got some quite interesting drivers in there, haven't they? Got Bradley Smith is there, a couple of guys are coming back. So it'll be an interesting uh, uh, performance when they get going. Very, very unlucky to lose everything in the fire. Yeah, Br- Bradley Smith um, and uh, Sete Gibber now among the drivers already signed up for it. Riders, of course, shouldn't say drivers. Riders, I sorry. I mean, I, I know it's me, I'm just as bad, and I ride a bike very regularly. But there we are. Uh, the first round of the championship... Uh, will be uh, supporting MotoGP at the German Grand Prix, at, uh, which Taxenbury. is late July, is it? Yeah, Taxenbring. Okay. That's a very twisty-turny track, and up-and-downy, so obviously that, they'll probably have chosen that as something that they're less likely to go flat on. Uh, the pre-season test, by the way, will be at Hueth. Obviously, because it's in Spain. Uh, there'll be a new venue for next year's Rally Australia. Will it be Burnley? It could well be. 
Uh, not Australia, then? It's unlikely to be in Australia. The contract uh, with current host town Coffs Harbour expires after the final round of this year's World Rally Championship, uh, with no appetite for renewal, uh, mainly because Coffs Harbour, which apparently is the 25th most populous place in Australia... With nine people... Has 70,000 residents... Sorry. ...and is several hundred miles from the nearest big city... Right. Uh, I, hence, I, I, can I be genuinely, honestly, not taking the mickey? I'd never heard of it until two minutes ago. It's hosted seven rounds of the World yeah, Rally Championship. Yeah, and, and, and do you think I've paid any attention to that? No. <laughs> no. Uh, you won't be surprised to learn that no one else did either, and that's the reason why there's no appetite for renewal. Nobody, and I mean nobody, uh, went to watch this. Uh, previously, Rally Australia had been in Perth, that was quite popular, wasn't it? It was, but that was 13 years ago, and Western Australia hasn't got any money. Uh, so the 2020 Rally Australia is likely to take place in... New Zealand. You might be joking, but you're absolutely correct. <laughs> Will it be called Rally, New Ze- Rally Australia still? Uh, no, it'll be called Rally New Zealand, won't it? Uh, I don't know, you can't tell. We could be, you know. Or it could be called, insert sponsor name here, Rally New Zealand, of course. Well, it could be called, like we have Wales Rally GB, it could be called New Zealand Rally Australia. Circuit Wales? Yeah. Hosted a round of MotoGP, didn't it? Yeah, it did, exactly. Yeah, you see, I think, it, I think it'd be called New Zealand Rally Australia. Or it'd be like, like in Christchurch, it'd be Christchurch Rally Australia. It'll be in Auckland. Well then, see. Uh, World Rally Championship returns after a little spring break. They're off to Argentina this weekend. I feel they're very lucky because Argentina is a very nice place to go. Uh, it's a gravel rally. Right. And if you remember, after the Tour de Course, uh, there are just five points between the top three drivers. Yes, didn't someone have a puncture on the last lap or something? Yes. Uh, Thierry Nerville has a two-point lead over Sebastian Ogier after taking that uh, that? victory from Elvin Evans. And uh, Tanak is third in the championship. Well, I wish them all good luck and safe passage. Uh, Let's go back to two wheels briefly. Uh, okay. because it was the Le Mans 24 hours at the weekend, wasn't it? It was, and on the Bugatti circuit, and only the Bugatti circuit, because it's the uh, first, well, it's like the, the premier enduro of the year for the World Motorcycle Endurance Championship. Um, obviously, to sort of, well, they, they are to superbike rules, because the bikes are um, quite different, because they're endurance bikes, bigger tanks, um, obviously refillers, um, slightly different setups and everything else. But uh, So, therefore, obviously, if it's, it's the superbike rules, obviously, Ducati won, Tim. Uh, Kawasaki won. Uh, yes. It was the Team SRC Kawasaki, which had uh, Jeremy Guamoni on it at the uh, at the end of the race and also at the start of the race, but not for the whole of the race. Uh, there was a safety bike. No, they have safety cars, don't they? There was a safety car uh, 15 minutes from the end as well, yeah. which tightened everything up. So it was very close finish uh, between Kawasaki and uh, Honda Endurance Racing, uh, who finished second, Randy Depunier, oh, uh, okay. and uh, Johnny Hernandez in that on that bike. Well, they seem to pick the uh, the more well known riders, but Kawasaki won. So um, a, a little, little bit for Kawasaki after their um, issues are having in well, not having issues, they're just been having the floor wiped by the by Alvaro Bautista. Yeah, BMW. Uh, yes, love a BMW. Position. Well done. Um, 
but uh, had to withdraw. Uh, oh. They crashed just after midnight. And apparently so the crash was caused by an engine failure. Oh, so it's, it locked up. Yes. So it's basically, that it was. it's like, you know, the, uh, we crashed. Why did you crash, Bob? Because basically the bottom of the engine had fallen off and dumped all over the back wheel. Uh, there were apparently 76,000 spectators. Really? Yes. I mean, I have seen the aerial shots of the bike park, and that's always pretty impressive, but um, that's a lot, 76,000. I mean, do you think they didn't build Silverstone counting, or perhaps they were counting 38,000 twice over the two days? Uh, among them, uh, they're counting Jorge Viegas. Now, he shouldn't really be counted, because uh, he is the president of the FIM, and uh, was responsible for handing out the trophies at the end and waving the flag at the start. Well done him for staying the whole time, unlike the people who waved the flags for the, for the real Le Mans. Never see them, never see them at the end, do you? Uh, rarely. Uh, let's do a bit of housekeeping. Uh, okay. Because when, in our coverage of uh, the Bathurst Six Hours at the weekend, right, okay. uh, we did not mention that the Spirit of the Race Award... Uh, went to the number five hair engineering Suzuki Swift Sport E. Okay. And uh, you'll be more interested in the Creventic race at the weekend, Nick, uh, which was the 12 hours of Spa. And we also didn't uh, announce the winner of Spirit of the Race on that broadcast either. Uh, so that went to the number 602 BMW Team van der Horst. Uh, despite the original car breaking down before the green flag, the team decided to come back on Saturday with a completely different car. And different, just just a, of the same type or a different type entirely. Different model. Brilliant. This is that, well, they, they've already won. Just be, just be telling me this story. And raced for the final eight hours, despite having no chance of uh, getting a win or a podium. Brilliant. Great. They deserve that. Well done. Whoever voted for them. Was it everybody? And John, you were at Bathurst again at the weekend. Yes. And another record-breaking race. Uh, yeah, yes, because of the lack of uh, use of safety car, which is great. And, and you know, how and many times have we said this? Distance covered in a six-hour race. Well, yes, exactly. Um, which means that how many had, times? Have... Uh, new distance record set for the six-hour and twelve-hour this year, and last year's Bathurst One Thousand, which obviously is a distance race, was done in a record time. So things are getting faster, and I think I know why. Why is that, Tim? I think there are fewer kangaroo-related safety cars. <laughs> um, there are just fewer safety cars. Um, uh, actually, it's funny you should mention the ruse because uh, when I was uh, pootling around on Easter Monday, um, left ridges at Mount Panorama and took the GT3 Touring, kindly supplied by Porsche Australia, and yes, everybody there is a real-world road test coming on that car, um, I went out and saw some of the countryside around Bathurst. What a beautiful place, by the way, around there. Some lovely vineyards and, and wineries. But I've never seen so many carcasses of animals, mainly roos, but not exclusively, by the side of the road. So there's still plenty of them around. It just appears that they're not on the mountain anymore. I think it's just mainly down to the fact that the safety cars have been sitting at the end of pit lane, which is great. Whether that in, in certainly in terms of the 12 and the 6 hours, whether that has something to do with slightly smaller fields, whether it is certainly the atmosphere in the in the paddock and the pits of the 6 hours team was very courteous. Uh, guys who had issues with cars 
were somewhat reluctant to just take them out and have them break down. They were trying to make sure that they got everything sorted before they rolled out, even including during the race. I mean, we had cars that changed a diff. We had a car that changed an engine during the race. We had a car that uh, postponed its start a little bit because it knew the radiator was not very good. And they came back to fourth in class as well, by the way. Um, that was the 87 BMW. I just think everybody was being very courteous and very sensible. When there were problems, drivers tried to get off the racing line as quickly as possible. Obviously, if it was crash damage, that's not always possible. And also, I think you've got a credit race control, Tim, as well, because both in the 12 and the 6 at Bathurst, they allowed the incidents to develop. And if the cars could get going again under their own steam, sometimes literally, um, they allowed that to happen and kept it green. We even had a couple of live snatches uh, in the six-hour race with the incidents being covered under double yellows. Um, little golf clap here for race control and for everybody concerned. Away from the action, uh, the big talking point was uh, about the uh, fifth event to take place at Bathurst, which has uh, come back onto the agenda with Council uh, inviting applications to tender for running a fifth event uh, in addition to the six hour, the 12 hour, the 1,000 kilometres and challenge Bathurst. Uh, initially, five uh, entrants for this uh, bid were announced on Tuesday uh, and then it uh, emerged that there was a sixth one because the Creventic bid had initially been missed uh, off the list uh, because it was submitted uh, via email. Um, the Creventic application was actually trailed ahead of time. Evo Breukers talking to Speed Cafe on, I think it was actually on Tuesday Australian time. I read that when um, I was heading down from uh, ridges at Bathurst down to the uh, Sydney area and uh, their proposal is for a 24 hour race very much in the Creventic style we don't really know very much more about that or at least didn't on Tuesday and I have to say I haven't had the chance to pick up anything else it's very very early morning uh, here uh, at the moment the uh, I, I'm not sure if I'm honest I've not spoke, spoken to Evil Breakers about this um, but I'm not sure that having a GT3, GT4 and touring car 24-hour race adds anything because we've already got the 12 hours for GT3s and GT4s and other invited classes. The six hours takes over takes care of the production-based cars. About the only cars that aren't catered for there that Evo would bring to, or Creventic would bring to the mountain, are the, the TCR-class cars. Well, I expect we'll uh, talk about TCR bit more uh, shortly but let's have a look at the other five applicants. Supercars is the one that stands out. They have two events at the mountain being the 12 hours and the 1000 um, and the others are all first effectively first timers, people who haven't yet got an, got, uh, an, an event on the mountain. Well, let's talk about supercars because obviously everyone was expecting them to uh, bid for this uh, but they have said that they uh, only want the fifth slot if they can do something different with it so not more uh, v8 supercars and not something like the 12 hours well have they actually said not more v8 supercars because uh, surely doing something different they could do a sprint round of supercars um they don't i mean they have the uh, 
Super Two and Super Three, and they have the Utes, of course. But but I I, I don't know. I, I think they're right. I'll be honest with you. I think they're right. I think the fifth event needs to be distinctively different from the others that go there. The beauty, in some respects, of racing at the mountain and having an event at the mountain, whether it's Challenge Bathurst or, or the Six Hours, which are both run by Yeehaw Events and um, we'll be speaking to James O'Brien in an interview that I record on Easter Monday uh, a little bit later on in our big interview, uh, having him talk about this. Now, it has to be said that was recorded before all of these um, requests for events came out. But the, the beauty of the mountain is with only five events allowed on it, with, with a complete closure, that there's an exclusivity about it. And I think supercars are right. I think it needs to be something different. I think it needs to have, whatever the fifth event is, it needs to be something that has its own character and atmosphere. And simply doing more of the same, I'm not sure is a smart idea. One of the things uh, that I believe supercars are thinking of is a hill climb, which would be oh, really fun. The question is, which side do you which go? Beer? Do you go in the yeah. direction the circuit goes, or do you go the other way? Or do you do both? Or do course. you do both? Yes. Although, at the if same you time, were to do both, the then uh, <laughs> all the cars get stuck at the top, and uh, there's nowhere for them to go. Yes, you wouldn't do them both at the same time and meet at the top, but that would be quite fun, wouldn't it? Um, <laughs> a bit like a pursuit. You have to work out the 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 exact part where you would start to make it halfway around have one pe- one set of guys going one way one the other um no i'm only joking let's have a um, look at some okay. of the other uh, bidders yeah, so okay. we've got arg uh they're the people who are behind tcr australia um surely tcr can't sustain a whole event at, at bathurst not yet, I wouldn't have thought. Uh, they've got just under 20 cars, and de- depending on how you add them up, between 15 and 20 cars, which is a pretty stout effort for a brand new series. Uh, the cars, any cars that you take into Australia, including racing cars, have a, uh, a levy on them still. So they are not quite as cost effective as they are in Europe and the rest of the world. But there's a lot of interest in TCR and also into as to where does TCR develop in the future um, with regards to things like production car racing and possibly could that be an alternative to very complicated production-based cars where the electronic systems become more and more interdependent and interconnected. Um, TCR, it could be a race of a weekend, but but like most of the other events, they would have to have other things there as well. It could be a couple or three races over a weekend. But I, I, there's no there's no suggestion, as far as I know from talking to people down here, that that TCR race will become an, an endurance race. Um, TCR at the moment is a purely sprint-based category here in Australia. Uh, we've also got Ontic Events. They're the Ontic Sports. They're the company behind the Australian production uh, car series, uh, which the event we had last weekend, Bathurst Six Hours, used to be part of, but isn't anymore. Slight differences uh, in how the classes run. And again, listen to what James has got to say, and I'll begin to view. Um, again, see the above comments. I suppose Tim about those. There's already a six-hour production race. They have 
classes for what might be called production sports cars as well, two-seater, two-door cars, rather than the four-seat touring-style cars that we saw in the high-tech event of the weekend. Um, again, is it different enough? Not sure. Not sure about that. Uh, fourth bidder is Mountain Motorsports. Now, Mountain Motorsports... Uh, are most famous for organising a Tarmac Rally Championship. Could we see mm. Bathurst as a rally stage? Yes, absolutely. Um, if you think of some of the classic rally tours, uh, even in Europe, uh, to the course, particularly the Tarmac rallies are super quick. And you know, a single-stage rally at Bathurst, using the mountain, possibly in both directions... Um, effectively it would become a bit like a sprint venue wouldn't it but are they wanting to do it as a rally venue or have they got something else up their sleeve now a rally would certainly be different enough Um, it's a completely uh, different event in terms of its character so maybe that one has some merit question for me would be um, would it attract a crowd and how many entries would they get? It's not cheap to run events there. Um, again, I'll, I'll, I'll trail forward. Wait for the a big interview for some of this because uh, James has got some interesting insights. Who's the final one? A uh, final one is the 24 Hours of Lemons. Well, for those that don't know, the 24 Hours of Lemons... This is uh, cars uh, that are less than $1,000. Exactly. This is a very, very cost-effective way of going motor racing. Um, it's been particularly successful in the States. I know a few people who do those type of uh, events. Um, in the States, it's sort of morphed into um, what was once called chump car for cars that are a little bit more expensive. Jeremy Shaw's raced in a few events at uh, WeatherTech Raceway. Uh, Laguna Seca, in fact, the new MX-5 that he'll be racing, uh, the new build MX-5 that he'll be racing is is just about ready, apparently. This is an interesting one. Um, It comes back to something we said on the air. It's about getting enough entries and enough interest. And, you know, the Hyundai Accents could probably run the World Championship Festival of Hyundai Accents around there. There's 500 race cars in Australia. uh, And... That's the sort of numbers that you need to start thinking about if you're going to make this work. And maybe the chump car guys, sorry, the lemons guys, 24 hours of lemons guys, maybe they could get a big enough field. Your problem there is, of course, how many is too many? Um, and, and that's a, another talking another talking point. Uh, it, it's The issue there would be, can you make enough out of maybe 50 or 60 cars where people are on a budget and they don't want to be spending tens of thousands of Aussie dollars to come and race on the mountain when their cars aren't, when the whole point of that series is it's cheap and cheerful. Uh, Having said that, they do already run a lot of events. They race at Winton, they race at Calder Park. This year, for the Mm. first time, they're going to race at the Bend. Hmm. Mm. I, no, I, I think it's a it's a valid one. Um, what we've got to consider here, all of us, in our excitement about a fifth event at at the mountain, is 
there has to be a proper business model so that it can continue. It can't be one and done. That would be disastrous. I'm surprised um, that there aren't anybody, there isn't anybody on there who is who is linked with classic events. Because the other thing that's been talked about for quite some time is um, a uh, Bathurst Classic, uh, rather like the Le Mans 24 Hours uh, Classic or the Le Mans Classic, should I say that that's brings back cars that have history on the mountain in all different categories and and let's be honest the mountains raised some weird and wonderful things down through the years so it wouldn't just be the sports and touring cars there's formula fords that have raced there um even radicals still race there so i'm just quite surprised that that we haven't seen somebody who is linked with that type of event although of course it could be that any one of those people that you have mentioned and particularly supercars may be thinking something classic up their sleeve we had the heritage uh, touring cars the bathurst touring cars masters uh, there at the weekend and they were fantastic and more of that well you know that will draw a crowd uh, it's a it's an interesting it's an interesting one but what we can't have here is somebody who doesn't have a long-term strategy sponsors and a business model it's it is you know when i left ridges at bathurst on monday tuesday where am i now tuesday um lunchtime effectively even considering it was a relatively uh, small event in the bathurst six hours in terms of how much paddock there was the paddock was still being taken down all of the um tents that were being used as temporary garaging, the concrete blocks that uh, line the side of the circuit, some of those have to be moved. Some of them have gates in them for residence access, but for example, the ones in front of ridges where the normal main entrance of ridges are, those were being lifted up with a crane whilst I was having uh, a late breakfast. So all of that infrastructure has to be paid for. To a certain extent, it's a it's a road track, an infrastructure at road track, and all the other stuff that you have to bring in. That that is going to that's going to add to the cost of running an event there, and all of those five need to bear that in mind. Supercars, of course, already know that and know that very well. Uh, what we don't know, of course, from any of those five bidders, Tim, is what sort of event we can speculate as we have done here, but. Some of those guys might have very, very different ideas, but let's let's make it absolutely clear: motorbikes, two and three wheels, aren't going back to the mountain anytime soon. It simply isn't safe. Uh, demonstrations, possibly, but no racing of two wheels on the mountain. That's that's a conversation for another day and another circuit at, potentially at Bathurst. My thought, or my very first thought when I heard about the possibility of a fifth event, was: wouldn't it be great to have an endurance karting race there? Well, do you know, isn't that funny, Tim? Because when we mentioned it in the broadcast at the weekend, there was a number number of people who suggested things. We we said tongue in cheek a golf cart race, and we still reckoned everybody up the hill. Well, depends whether we're petrol or electric, but everybody would cheat anyway, and you'd end up with a V8 golf cart, wouldn't you? Because it's Australia. Um, But also, the other thing that people talked about was was a twenty four hour race. But for small production-based cars, um, small engine production-based cars, so under two litre, uh, including a class for Japanese K-class cars, um, it, it comes to something, I think, when the watching public wants something different. And, and that's the point that I was making 
earlier on. And I think that's the point that's got to be followed very carefully. You you can't cannibalize what's already there. There are two endurance races already for quite a varied set of car classes. So you'll have to be careful what that third event is and make sure that it brings something else and it doesn't take something away. What I'd really like to see, though, is some kind of single-seater race. Uh, you want a Formula 3 race there or a festival of something, well, the thing don't you? is, Australia has very limited history with uh, single-seater cars. There's uh, Formula Ford, which has now Formula become Ford. Formula 4. Um, but there's mm-hmm. never really been a successful Formula 3 championship. Um, and the big um, 21st century uh, single-seater championship was Formula Holden, which only on a good day would get into double figures of entries and was very mixed because while you did have some uh, young kids uh, taking part, um, there was a bloke called Will Power uh, who won it one year. don't know what happened to him. Um, and uh, a guy called Nelson Hartley, whose brother also does a bit of racing somewhere. Mm. Um, but it was mainly how to have a midlife crisis with a Reynard 94D. <laughs> um, there's, like uh, former Formula Audi then? There was uh, one competitor, uh, was uh, Dr. Roger Oakeshott. Uh, he was actually an orthopaedic surgeon from Adelaide, and he was in his 50s then, so he's probably retired now. There was uh, Terry Clearahan, who was a used car dealer from Canberra. We're not talking about people who are going to go on and uh, challenge the Formula One or IndyCar grids mainly. No, but Tim, if you're going to have some kind of festival like that, and I and I have no issue with that, and I take what you're saying about the the difficulty, the paucity of of that type of series in Australia to fill possibly a three day weekend, then for me there is only one category in Australia right now that can do that, and that is the X3, the um, Hyundai um, XLs and Accents uh, that we saw at the weekend. There were 55 cars there. We could have filled that grid three times over. I'm told, and I had a long chat with the organisers, sponsored by Federal Tyres now as well, uh, I'm told there are somewhere near 500 race cars prepared for that championship. They all run at state and regional and national level under exactly the same regulations. So what you could do is bring together all of those Hyundais and have effectively the world championship of Hyundai racing over a three-day weekend in the same way as you would have the Formula Ford Festival at Brands Hatch. So you would have heats, semi-finals, finals, reprochages, and then on the Sunday, the highlight would be, um, I'm not sure how long that would go around there, maybe a, an eight-lapper an eight-lapper or a ten-lapper, but that would be you know, more than half an hour's worth of racing for those cars. I think that would be something different. It would be something that would be massively well-supported by the racing community who have those cars. Now, the issue then becomes, do you have that as an international event and what do you do about telly and stuff like that? All right, I accept, I accept that. But what else are you going to do that isn't already being done at the mountain? Forget, by the way, before anybody says it on Twitter, at Spectatorment, forget motorcycles. They're not coming back to Mount Panorama on that circuit. There's no way you can make that circuit safe for that, and neither should that even be considered. So what, and I'll go back and keep saying what I said earlier on, is you've got to be careful that you don't affect 
the events that are already there. That's not the point of a fifth event. The fifth event should be something different and offer something different, not just for the motor racing public who go there and stand trackside, but also potentially for an international audience who might want to watch it because, frankly, there's an international audience to watch anything around Mount Panorama because it is Mount Panorama. So there's a bit of politicking to be done. There's a bit of balancing to be done and possibly even a bit of compromise to be done before whatever the fifth event is. And by the way, we're not talking about a fifth event this year. No, no. chance. That is, well, we're looking at 2020 and beyond. It won't, won't be announced until August. Uh, so good luck to uh, all of those who have uh, applied to run that. Would you like to hear some of my experimental avant-garde poetry? No? Okay then. It's Midweek Motorsport and still to come. So that's the first hour of Midweek Motorsport Series 14, Episode 16 done. Keep your tweets coming in, please, to at Specutainment. And we'll get through some of those, although quite difficult for me to pick them up here, but I'm sure Tim is watching it as well up there in London. Right, second half of tonight's programme, we will have Curry with us tonight uh, looking at British Superbikes. Been doing some great work there on two wheels. Shea Adam will be with us with the American news and also looking at a bit of the sports car news from further afield as well. Tim will bring us up to date with sports scores to prove that we are live here tonight. But coming up next, it's the big interview and it is Bathurst related because next it's James O'Brien, the man at the head of Yeehaw Events. Spoke to him on Easter Monday about what's been going on at Bathurst and what might be to come. Midweek Motorsport on RS1. The big interview this week is with the man behind the Bathurst Six Hours and Challenge Bathurst, uh, James O'Brien of Yeehaw Productions, Yeehaw Events, excuse me, James. Uh, first of all, thanks for, for joining us. And not so long ago, behind us, uh, another successful six hours. Well done. Yeah, thanks, John. Um, we had great weather this weekend. And um, 44 starters, I think. Yeah, 44 starters, or 44 who turned up, took the starting flag in some way, shape, or form. Mm-hmm. Um only three safety cars, lap uh, distance record, as Richard Crowell was very keen to announce when it mm. clicked over on the uh, on the lap reader. So yeah, it was a it was a good race, and um, uh, yeah, it was a good it was a good field. But you know, we got a we got a few things to fix for next year. There's always something to look at. Always something. Everything involves, uh, and and that's actually a good place to to start a more general chat. You've been involved with with Bathurst here for, for quite some time, inaugurated the, the 12-hour race as well. Bathurst's a special place. Uh, five events sanctioned here uh, a year. Four of those dates are being used uh, at the moment. Does it still hold that special place in Australian and indeed now international motorsport? Certainly nationally it does. Uh, that, that, that'll never wane. Um, and I think internationally it's it's growing in reputation because... Whilst the 1000 was was um, known in hardcore motorsport in you know circles, I think 12 hours reached another market again, and um, and just given us greater awareness, and probably the six hour will help with that as well. So, if anything, I think um, we're on the map uh, even more so. The six hours has remained true to the original Bathurst endurance racing routes. Uh, the 1000 started off as a as a class race and production cars very much to the fore there. That's the 
same format that you have here in the, the Bathurst Six Hours. Production car racing in Australia still has a good following. Yeah, that's right. As you said, you know, the 1000 started this way and then and obviously the uh, supercar era changed that and then the 12 hours started with production cars and then that morphed into the GT and now six hours they've got their own race again. So um, I don't think they'll lose this one. Yeah. <laughs> it should stay for production cars. But um, we're getting their act together slowly in the country. The, um, you know, the technical regs have sort of been agreed by all the various stakeholders there's still a bit of a disconnect between the state-level series, the national series, and our standalone event in terms of class structure and eligibility. So um, if we can resolve that moving forward, I think you know, we'll all benefit from that. Extraordinary support from the broadcast media with Fox Sports putting all six hours without commercial interruption on their sports channels here in Australia. Uh, the night of the race, it, there was highlights program repeated twice. The morning after the race, it's already been on as well. How important is that in terms of getting the message out to the Australian audience at least? Yeah, it's important. Um, you know, there's the, the issue of free-to-wear versus subscription and people are gradually getting there and we've seen the, the, the big hoo-ha at, at, uh, at V8s over the last five years. But I think we've seen it's worked very well. Um, I think the Australian public have an expectation that they can watch anything for free. And unfortunately, that's that's not the case in the world we live in. I think that's everybody. I'm not sure that's uh, <laughs> particular to Australia. But the, the point I would make, James, is that in Europe, in the US, um, motorsport fans would give important parts of their anatomy to see an endurance race broadcast by a national network without commercial interruption, whether it's free-to-air or on a subscription channel that that's something that we're just not used to yeah well it was important that um uh that the deal we put together that we 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 get out to as many eyeballs as possible so uh you know fox are keen uh, they're keen for content it's a nice fit so um at the moment um we're happy to uh to pay for the production and uh, and they're happy to broadcast the race so 12 hours started off in a similar vein and mm. uh and then it then it flips flip the switch a little later. So, you know, we're not going to have the growth strategy of the 12-hour because we're talking about a different level of competitors and a different different manufacturers. So, um, you know, we're being realistic. This, this needs to be a, a sustainable event, um, particularly commercially, and then, um, uh, you know, it, it can be a consistent on the calendar each year. So we've run four years, and if you look back over the history, you know, sort of proddy cars and the, First twelve hour in the early nineties only got to four, and uh, and then the twelve hour flipped to GT. So you know next year I suppose it's a bit of a watershed year in terms of it's the fifth running of uh, of the race for production cars. Does it surprise you in some respects that we get such a big international audience to your live stream? That is free, goes out to the the rest of the world using that same production that's aired on on Fox Sports here in Australia, but. The amount of tweets that we get in, emails, etc., from around the world. When you're talking about a, a regional stroke national but club level driver and team level, that people are tuned in from literally every every territory on earth. Does that does that rather surprise you? Well, if I was having holding this race anywhere other than Mount Panorama, yes, I'd be astounded. But it's Mount Panorama, so uh, we could run 
billy carts around here and people would probably tune in to watch. <laughs> it was suggested that the fifth event become a 24-hour golf cart race, actually. Uh, somebody said something about racing a golf cart uh, on the mountain during, during the broadcast. Um, the draw, then, of, of this almost holy place, I suppose we could say, uh, in terms of Australian motorsport, hasn't diminished for both international uh, and national competitors. Uh, you said next year is a, potentially a watershed, what, just because it's the fifth year and, and that's where things have, have, have either taken off or not in the past? Yeah, I, I, in a way, you know, the, the, there's always a few rule changes every year and I think there's always sceptics and who look at it and say, well, is that going to continue or is it going to change, you know? And that affects competitors in terms of whether they purchase new cars and uh-huh. and can they run at both six-hour and the national under the same rule. So there's all that yeah. stuff going on in the background. So, um, you know, if we can... we've High-tech oils have signed on for another four years. You know, I, I'm committed to the race. They're committed. So, you know, it'll be a production car race mm. over six hours. And now we need to tweak it and hopefully... Um, uh, yeah, look at the number of cars on the field because we saw from this year, 44, it was a, a nice number and it produced mm. a good race and not many safety cars. And so, you know, maybe we look at uh, at capping the field at a certain number. We'll look at the the class structure, the model eligibility, and you know, we see where we go from there. But it'd be nice to see a few newer model cars come into the field. Is, is that where you'd like to see the expansion? Is that where you think things could move forward a bit with? with uh, newer cars that are out there that could be eligible. There is a list of cars, there's a list of eligible cars that, is, that are on a, a number of, of different websites, including yours and, and, the, um, and, the national, um, and the national body as well. It's, it's not as if there aren't plenty in terms of variety, but we, we haven't seen very many new cars come forward in the last three or four years. Yeah. To answer your question, yes, I, I, I'm, we're not looking for growth in terms of the grid. Um, we, we're looking at uh, we'd we'd like to see some newer model cars come in, and uh, and if that means we need to put in the regulations that uh, we limit the age limit of cars, uh, that that's a possibility. Um, you know, we don't we don't want to force the issue per se, but we need to encourage uh, these competitors to um, to sort of change over their cars and step up. And we've seen this year. Um, there were about half a dozen cars missing this year because they didn't, well, they didn't put in a dry brake fuel system. Mm. They had three years to do it, mm. and some of them didn't do it. Um, and there were other issues as well. But but in hindsight, I, I'm I'm quite glad we didn't have yeah. a field the size we had last year. It was a, it was a good number for, to produce a good race. On the upside, you have those two brand new Hyundai i30 ends. Um, all right, not a great start of the weekend. Um, for one of the cars but that presumably is exactly the sort of effort you want to see current manufacturer cars that could potentially attract some uh, help financial or otherwise activation from manufacturers bearing in mind they weren't uh, TCR cars they were production cars ready to go racing yeah I think that all feeds into the broadcast as well and the exposure I mean those guys cars entered very late in the piece I think they might have been the last two cars entering so they were well prepared and uh, and they did well. Um, and again, we don't target the manufacturers per se. We we uh, we let them know what the race is about and that these are all the details surrounding it. And uh, and you may you know, competitors may be contacting them. So we leave it to the competitor to go to the manufacturer, and they can get a little bit of support here or there. And suddenly, like we saw early on in the twelve hour with uh, 
Alfa Romeo, for example, mm. uh, and Fiat, mm. they start to see it as a marketing opportunity. And, um, and so that lifts the professionalism, it reduces the cost for the competitor, and, you know, uh, that's where we start to see some growth in the event. And, and even, quite frankly, if that's some guy who gets his local XYZ dealer to throw him a bit of help on parts, put a few decals on the car, if it's reducing the investment required to the competitor, that, that's actually all grist to the mill. Definitely. And at, that, and at this level, it, it, it's all about dollars. I mean, uh, putting aside the cost of the actual car, um, there'll be various budgets this weekend, but you know, I would have envisage a 40, 40 grand exercise I would have mm. thought um, depending on how you do it and if you cut that up two or three ways it's still a chunk of money mm. uh, for the guys that we're targeting so if we can reduce the costs well having said that we pro- we really can't reduce the costs directly we can reduce the cost by them by introducing other stakeholders and, yeah. uh, and, and really then that's why the broadcast becomes so important to us. Gives them the platform to be able to take that on to, to a potential partner. Um Away from the, the six hours, Challenge Bathurst, relatively new um, for the venue, but has immediately caught people's attention. A couple of days of regularity, a couple of days of sprint here in November, late November, early December. Um, it's a different way of looking at things, but I think just underlines what you were saying earlier on about how special this place is. It's, it's not a place where you can come and practice. That's right. I mean, we we um, it's it's uh, it's a really nice feel to that event because um, you've got guys who might go and do one track day somewhere around the country, and they've got a level two license, CAMS license. That's all they need, mm. and they bring their road car down here, mm. and on a fully closed circuit, can go and belt around uh, in twenty minute sessions, and uh, they get uh, sprint get eight over two days, and regularity get three over two days, and that's enough for them. Um, but it's it's a it's, it's a really special opportunity for them, and uh, and they're really happy to be here in the paddock. They're just there's a really nice feel to it. And then of course we've got some of the high level guys, twelve hour guys, will do testing as well. Yes. So um, this year coming up, uh, the AGT will be coming and taking some sessions uh, themselves. It's the Australian GT Championship. Yep, the Australian GT Championship, and they will um, they'll run slightly longer sessions. But as we saw with Chris Mees breaking the lap record last year, um, I think we'll see some genuine testing and some lap records uh, attempting to really? fall this year. Uh, so, um, so it'll still be the same event. It's just that they'll have a little element cut out for them, slightly longer sessions with just their own cars in, right. in it. Yeah. Um, and the thought behind that was um, obviously using another one of the uh, the days that are allowed. But was that just? Basically, to say to people, you know, come on, give it a go and give the opportunity for people to come here and drive it a little faster than 60k as it would be on a normal day when it's open. Yeah, well, we thought it'd feed nicely into the other events um, from a driver point of view. Uh, it's good for the governing body. We're bringing in uh, low level guys or low level guys, low level licenses. Mm. And uh, when they get a taste for it around here, they're hardly gonna, a lot of them aren't going to turn their back. They're going to say, what's the next step? What can yes. I get into? Yes. What, what's the next racing category? And then you know, it feeds into the whole system. So it's sort of like a, a grassroots uh, level for cams, I suppose, in terms of um, stepping drivers up. So many guys do track days around the country. And, uh, and, and this is just a bucket list item. So, you know, we, we have 435 spots across the two days and... 
we had 422 this year, and the only reason there was 13 down is because they'd, they'd withdrawn over the last couple of weeks leading into the right. event because of issues, yeah. car issues, personal issues or whatever. Yeah. So, or the commitment. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 Um, and if anybody wants more details on that, well, let's give that website a, a plug for Challenge Bathurst. Yeah, www.challengebathurst.com. Right, that's easy to do. Um, that's the fourth of five potential events that can happen here. Um, whilst it's not necessarily totally in your gift, a fifth event, is a fifth event viable here or is four enough? And if there was a fifth event, where would it possibly go in the year? Uh, a fifth's viable as long as it doesn't cannibalise uh, any of the existing events. That's the that's the uh, the key issue for me as a stakeholder with two events here, and I'm sure supercars w- would feel the same way. So, um, whilst it's entirely council's decision what they do, uh, I, I suspect supercars and uh, and myself will have some input into that decision making process. Um, council are also effectively partners in all the events here as well yes. so yes. Uh, so they have a vested interest as well um, so the answer is yes what it is um, I don't know I've got, there's plenty of ideas in the head and there's a few things that would work dates are the other issue um, because of the uh, the existing events they've sort of got a lockout period around them of a couple of weeks so you've got to w- build a little little ring road ring around them and then uh, is that is, so you can't have two weeks on cons- two events on consecutive weekends you have to split them apart more yeah basically every event event here contractually would have the two weeks before and after right. as a as a blackout zone right. so nothing could be held um and then from may to august it's a little cold here for us australians it's a little cold and um you wouldn't want to be running too much stuff here so I think an early SEP, first week in SEP would be a, a an ideal date, um, which I think is Father's Day and first week in SEP. There's a bit of a, bit of a history of, of, of doing stuff around the Motor Museum here on Father's Day as well, so that would tie in nicely with us. Yeah, and uh, I think Muscle Car Masters have run or are still running in Sydney Motorsport Park around that date. Um, so whether that's... Uh, I wouldn't like to see a race meeting. I would like to see something different, whether it's right. a, a Goodwood-style thing, whether it's a, a manufacturer thing, whether it's an, or even a historic thing. But yeah. I, I'm not sure another race would work because there aren't too many categories that could do something here. And then you need a whole other field of support categories, and then you're starting to cannibalise the other events. I'm not saying it couldn't work, but I, I'm not convinced a race would be the would be the right option and also you'd then have to fit in with other national calendars as well of course that's right and uh you know if you want anything overseas well that's that's not going to happen so yeah we're only a small market yeah we love our motorsport but there's only 25 million of us here so uh uh so yeah viability becomes an issue and having said that this is a street circuit i mean yes you can look out sure there's concrete walls and some debris fence but there's a lot of things that aren't here which mm. needs to be brought in temporarily behind yeah. the scenes so yeah. it's actually very expensive to operate the circuit and therefore you need to generate a significant amount of revenue to uh, to cover those costs even though there's far more infrastructure than you'd see on a, a normal street circuit in in that the building that we're sitting in now the pit building is is permanent we've got a few grandstands the, the concrete walls and quite a lot of the safety features are still there. There's still quite a lot of infrastructure that's got to come in, James. There's not, it's not so much infrastructure as services uh, that are needed around here. Um, and, you know, it's 6.2 Ks with 40-odd residents 
in and between. Um, we've got wildlife issues. Uh, we've got, um, uh, you know, there's not a lot of permanent cabling here. So it's all, it's all the add-ons. Uh, yeah, for exa- just for example, the 35 flag marshal points, well, there's not toilets out there, so they need no. to put it. So right. it's all yeah. these add-ons that sort of, that, 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 uh, that add to the cost. And, um, and uh, plus you've got a pretty big track high fee because council have to spend a lot of money to um, to actually prepare the circuit in terms yes. of groundwork and maintenance and line marking and so yeah it, it, it's expensive so whilst i'm normally talking to you here at bathurst about things that yeha events are, are doing uh, any plans for anything else away from bathurst as much golf as possible, John. <laughs> well, let's hope that doesn't start very soon because uh, I'd like to continue to talking uh, to talking to you here, James. Uh, uh, you and the team do a, a great job. Thank you very much for having us down here. And we wish you all the best with Challenge Bathurst and the high-tech odds Bathurst Six Hours in the future. Thanks for talking to us. Yeah, thanks, John. Thanks for coming down and to uh, Eve for putting up with you. And uh, hope to see you again next year. The opening round of the British Superbike Championship took place at the weekend, Saturday and Sunday, and there watching it was Kerry Cobb. Good evening, Kerry. Good evening, Tim. How are you? I'm very well. Uh, Opening round of the new season, we talked about this, not with you, unfortunately, last week, but we did talk (laughs) about uh, this last week, and uh, we heard from some of the riders that we thought were going to be winning races this season Mm -hmm. and then first race comes along on Sunday and someone we didn't even mention last week ends (laughs) up taking victory how did that happen yeah I mean this is the thing British Superbikes is famed for its close racing you can never you can yeah you can talk about the new boys coming in some of the old boys that have been in the paddock for years Uh, but nobody kind of even mentioned OMG Racing. Nobody even mentioned the name of Josh Elliott, because if you thought of OMG Racing, you'd probably first think of Luke Mossy. Uh, But it was Josh. (laughs) And he really did take both races to all the old stalwarts, to the new boys that we thought were going to do so well. And uh, OMG Racing, a a new team, only been in British Superbikes a season or two, and uh, they have thrown the gauntlet down pretty much to everybody. Yeah, just a bit. <laughs> Unbelievable. It's just a mega weekend uh, from start to finish. You know, we, were, we came here and tested them. We were pretty good. And just uh, the team improved the bike every session. We made a big change for qualifying and put the bike into the window. It was doing what I wanted. So um took a lot of confidence from that and then brought that into the races. And yeah, just mega to, to be sitting behind Tarn and Jason in race one and then race two there, sitting behind uh, Tarn again. Uh, just mega, you know. I can't, can't put it into words, you know, mega, mega job, the, the team, OMG Suzuki, fantastic to get their, um, you know, put them on the podium twice today and, yeah, just keep the ball rolling now into the season. So, where has Josh come from? Because uh, I must admit, I have never heard of him. Well, he, he's come from Superstock Thousands, um, that's where he's been. He has had a few uh, BSB races, I think he's done about eight or nine races uh, before coming to Silverstone this season for OMG. And of course, it was uh, Gino Rear that went left OMG and Josh Elliott and Luke Mossy replaced him there. But um, yeah, he's, he, he did very well in Pirelli Superstock Thousands. He was the champion back in 2015. Um, so <laughs> it was uh, it was still it was a very big surprise for him to get on the uh, podium for both races. And in tears uh, when he collected his trophy as well. 
He's a really good lad, Josh Elliott. I interviewed him at the end of both of the races, and uh, he seems to be a really nice lad. He's only 24, I think, so he's, he's still quite young in the great scheme of things. So he is now joint leader of the championship, along with the rider who took pole position and the rider who uh, crossed the line first in race <laughs> one before his penalty, uh, who's the same rider who actually did get a win that counted in race two. We're talking about Taz McKenzie. Yes. Uh, he was uh, one rider we heard from last week and uh, who we definitely expect to be doing well, uh, certainly in the uh, final six for the showdown at the end of the season. Uh, but uh, the two of them joint leaders of the championship. Uh, but tell us about the circumstances for having that win taken away. Well, none of us knew about it. At the end of the press conference obviously we were all watching it and we saw what happened and and then we did the press conference and the podium presentations and everything afterwards so at that stage he was still the winner or the, you know he was very very upset and uh, close to tears because did not want to win like that that was a very bittersweet victory um but then yeah then it transpired that he got the long lap penalty imposed for that incident with um jason o'halloran the o show and that's a three-second penalty, and that put him into second place. Obviously, I got penalised in race one, so I wanted to make a make up for it in race two, which I did, which so I'm happy now. Um, I saw it on the big screen that Jason went out, so that was genuinely gutted for him because I wanted to have a proper race again with him. Um, I felt like we improved the bike again from race one to two, which so I was going in there with a bit of determination and motivation and, and confidence and, yeah, managed to, to get my first proper win. So over the moon with that. Big thank you to all of the team. And, um, and yeah, it was tough towards the end when the safety car came out, but I knew that uh, my tyre wasn't the best, but I knew that I could maybe manage it and uh, managed to just pull sort of half a second going onto that, that last lap. So, yeah, over the moon and can't wait for Alton. We made changes just to sort of suit this track and, and bike tyres, all the combination really, so Alton's a completely different track to here, a track that I struggled at a little bit last year, so um, it's perfect we've got the test and uh, yeah, see how, where we end up on, on the test on Thursday and then go from there. And uh, Jason's uh, weekend didn't get any better, did it? No, it really didn't, and uh, sometimes you just think there's nothing you can do, you know, there was, there was nothing you could do in race one, race two, it was... It, it, he just didn't. It just didn't have a good weekend. I think the Osho will go away from Silverstone and really want to get all about that one and just prepare now for Alton Park. What about uh, other riders that we were looking out for? Luke Mossy, well, you've mentioned about... already. He's he's done quite well. Uh, he got uh, on the podium in the second race, didn't he? Yeah, I like Luke Mossy as a rider, and I think he will come into his own as the season goes on as well. And he'll he'll be inspired by the um, form that Josh Elliott has shown for OMG. He'll be looking to to do well there. Um, but let's talk about the the guys that had all the hype and pomp surrounding them coming into Silverstone. Scott Redding. I mean, you know, there'd been so much talk about his move from MotoGP to to BSB, um, and he proved it. You know, he proved he's ready for it. As, perfect as he wanted it to be but he was pretty happy that he got on the front row in qualifying for race one and you know he was pretty pleased with how his weekend panned out but another one who uh, it was kind of extremes for him wasn't it because he was on the podium in the first race and then nowhere in race two 
I think, you know, for him, it was always going to be a little bit of a baptism of fire. And I think, you know, I spoke to him after the qualifying sessions on Saturday and he was pretty pleased with, with how it had gone so far. Um, but yeah, it's early days, another 11 rounds to go. And now the man who uh, surprised everyone at the start of last season, Bradley Ray, he didn't have such a good weekend, did he? No, he didn't. And I feel a bit sorry for Bradley Ray ever since he kind of stormed those two races at the beginning of last season in that cold, bitter Donington weekend. He he just doesn't seem to have done that form. And it's such a shame because he is a brilliant leader. He's still with Build Bases and he's still with the team. He's got a, a new colleague in Luke Stapleford. And yeah, I still think there's a lot more for Bradley Ray to give, but he just didn't quite hit it that weekend. Uh, where are we going next with the British Superbikes? I mean, obviously tomorrow they've got a test day at Alton Park, haven't they? But where's the next race? They, they have indeed, and that's where it's going to be. It's going to be the Bank Holiday weekend, the 4th, 5th and 6th of May. So they're going there tomorrow to test, um, and then they'll have just over a week, and then they'll be back at Alton Park for the Bank Holiday weekend. The racing will be Saturday, Sunday, Monday, so... It'll be practice on the Saturday, qualifying on the Sunday, and then the two races on Bank Holiday Monday. And Alton Park is a brilliant circuit. I don't know if you've been before, Tim, but it is absolutely awesome. Alton Park is one of my favourite circuits anywhere in the world. Uh, (laughs) I've never been there for bikes, um, but I have been there for many, many car races. Uh, uh, But yeah, not bikes. British GT was there last weekend, and uh, they had uh, some... Uh, very action-packed races uh, in that as well. Uh, Okay, Kerry, we will talk to you again after the bikes have been to Alton Park, but for now, good night. Thank you and good night. Now, in terms of calendars, the months are pretty well defined. There are 12 of them. They have either 30 or 31 days or 28 or 29 if you're talking about February. But in terms of IndyCar, the month of May has already started, Shay Adam. (laughs) And it just gets longer and longer, Tim. I mean, today I saw a tweet saying, this is me. And I actually had to look at my calendar and go, hang on a second, it's April 24th. What are they? Oh, IndyCar testing at Indianapolis Motor Speedway. But obviously, Shay, the weather in (laughs) Indiana is um, temperate. So starting May in April will backfire, won't it? Yeah, uh, especially Indianapolis decides, no, no, it's not yet May. Um, and normally May does bring the showers, uh, but uh, April showers bring the May flowers. You're still in the April showers. The testing today was supposed to begin at about 11 o'clock in the morning. They didn't get on until closer to 3.30, so about an hour ago. And more rain expected to come in about two hours time. So clearly uh, the weather gods not playing ball with IndyCar. Uh, but there has been some uh, attempts at cars going out on track, have there? Yeah, there have been. And there have already been the classic videos of cars passing each other in draft forming, coming down the front straight. So it, it's been at least a little bit of a reward for the people who have been on the live stream for four hours with no cars on track. They They did get to see something. Uh, how many entries do we think we're going to get for the 500? Well, it was looking a bit more like 38 until this week. Now we're looking like 36, which 
beggars, not beef choosers. That's more than we've had since, I think, 2011. So we're still going to have bump day. All but two seats have been confirmed. That would be the seat of Yunkos Racing, which it's well believed to be Kyle Kaiser, but it just hasn't been announced yet. And then the third seat for Schmidt-Peterson Motorsport, that one still hasn't also been announced. But if you on social media, and uh, particularly that of Marshall Pruitt, you'll see a certain driver wearing Schmidt-Peterson uniform. Um, so that could be very well defined shortly. 18 Chevys, 18 Hondas, and even split. But what's been announced more this week, Tim, have been the liveries. And I don't know if you've seen a lot of pictures, but holy cow, we have some good-looking cars. I've seen two uh, really good ones. I've seen Will Powers, which I quite like, and uh, Connor Daly's as well. Yeah, Connor Daly's looks like uh, a fighter plane. Basically, he looks like a United States Air Force pilot. And I really like that touch of his fire suit being the green of all the G suits that the fighter pilots wear as well. Uh, Will Power with the all black Chevy for Verizon. The 5G is what they're uh, advertising this year. So the defending runner looks very sort of command. You've also got Mark Dreddy, a tribute livery to the 1969 winner, his grandfather, 50 years ago, with a bright red on his Honda. And then we've got another tribute for uh, the late Dan Gurney, which will be J.R. Hildebrand running his number in the second Dreyer and Reinbold car. So that'll be a 48 back in the field. Uh, going back to Marco, 50 years since Mario won the, the Indy 500 didn't think it was that long ago i thought it was 70 something but 69 was it really yep 1969 so that'll be 50 years since an andretti won at the indianapolis motor speedway on the oval which again is is sort of crazy of course Uh, michael's had a lot of success as a owner but in terms of that one win that everyone thinks back on half a century ago I think Michael's non-win is probably almost as famous as Mario's win now, isn't it? Yes. Very good point. (laughs) Uh, Anything else IndyCar-wise to talk about? Uh, Nope. We're just running around. They don't have a race this weekend. It's next weekend. Uh, No, the weekend after that when they are for the Indianapolis Grand Prix. So they've just got a lot of testing to do before then. Uh, Well, there wasn't a race last weekend either, and nor was there a race last weekend in NASCAR, but that does not mean there is no NASCAR news, uh, because yesterday, or it might have been the day before, I think it was yesterday, um, a letter was sent out to shareholders of uh, uh, Speedway Motorsports Inc., which is the company that owns nearly half of uh, NASCAR's uh, ovals, uh, offering uh, to buy their shares uh, from the majority shareholder, which is SFC, which is the company uh, owned by Bruce and Smith. What's going on here? Uh, Very interesting you delve into the finer details of this. Basically, the the Smith family used to own it, and then took it public and sold a bunch of the shares. Well, now they want to buy back the others so that they can have control over the voting, which can then impact scheduling. Uh, and we've already had a schedule shift for 2020. But if you own a majority of the tracks and you're trying to go up to those tracks and you are the shareholder deciding whether or not you can have events at that track on certain dates, 
that's when it gets a little bit easier, a little bit less complicated from a board perspective. So the Smith family trying to buy back the shares, they, they include this uh, company, SMI, owns tracks like Charlotte Motor Speed, Bristol, Texas, big tracks, big money-making events where they all go twice a year, but they can move within the schedule and they can do renovations. They, they can change whatever they want within the track without needing outside opinions. So it's just sort of interesting that we see something like this coming to fruition immediately off the back of the announcement. The finale has been moved. It's no longer with Homestead Motor Speedway. It's the whole Miami Speedway, excuse me. It's gone to an ISC-owned track. And that's another part of the interesting thing is if all of the tracks are owned by two big corporations, if both those corporations then potentially get bought back by the parent company, you've got a situation where NASCAR can pretty much decide they go when they go without anybody needing to give an opinion. Mm, interesting. Uh, staying in NASCAR politics or NASCAR finance, uh, yes. Sorry, I was a bit quiet there. Staying in NASCAR finance, uh, the North Carolina House and Senate is uh, looking at continuing tax breaks for NASCAR teams based around Charlotte. Yeah, and this is a really interesting... You, you sent me this along a little bit earlier, Tim, and I did a bit more digging into it because it's really fascinating. The reason so many of the big NASCAR teams based in the Charlotte area isn't because they love having houses on Lake Norman and they just find the climate of Charlotte to be fantastic, although it is, I'm not going to deny that. It's because there is actually something within the government that gives up to a $3 million tax break to teams if they base shops in the Charlotte area. So you find a lot of teams in anywhere from Mooresville, Huntersville, even on the east side of the town, as long as they're there, they're applicable for this, uh, basically a rebate. $3 million is a lot. There's a senator on the Republican side of things, Senator Pillman, who is fighting to keep it in Congress because there are people who say, wait a minute, this is just helping the richer. We need to get rid of this. But what Senator Tillman is doing is saying, no, 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 we're trying to help teams who are already struggling. Yes, $3 million is a lot of money. These are big corporations, but they're not exactly rolling in the dough like they used to be. $3 million means employing a secondary pit crew, which for a lot of these teams, they have. They have. They don't just have mechanics who work on the car and then go out and change the tires. To be a winning crew, you need to have elite athletes to actually man the jack and change the tires and do all sorts of things. And you need to pay your heirs. It really is a lot of money, and it is a real if that goes away, that'll be something that could really impact the face of the paddock. We're already struggling to get 42 cars for the Daytona 500 every year. If you get a situation where there's no longer a $3 million tax break for some of the little teams, it's not going to exist at all. Uh, I'm sure that story will continue to uh, roll on. Uh, we're going to move on to sports cars because this time next week uh, I'll be talking to you in mid-Ohio. Yes, which would be a lot of fun uh, to be up in mid-Ohio and a lot of cars. 103 cars, Tim, are going to be in the IMSA paddock between the four series. We got our entry list today, but before we delve into that, just 
couple of quick notes. Um, there will be three big substitutes in the mid-Ohio spa conflict because, of course, WEC running in the same weekend. Harry Tinknell, again, not coming to Ohio. He is going that trip to go back to Belgium. Gail Aubrey, same thing. He didn't run in the series last year. He ran in IMSA last year, so he didn't miss the race. And then Patrick Lindsay, who's made his return to this year, will not be driving the 73 Park Porsche because instead he'll be over driving the 56 Project 1 Porsche. More on his substitute later. But we have a couple of really interesting uh, announcements that have come out in the last week, including McLaren bringing more of a force than we were expecting. The Compass Racing McLaren, the 720 GT3, 720F GT3, from uh, Carl Thompson through no surprise that they're coming out. It's the first round of seven sprint in the sprint championship. Also a Michelin, um, Michelin bound thing. The reason that this is such a big story is McLaren has actually entered as a manufacturer. Well, why does that matter? Because it's that they can win a championship and they've not only signed on for this year, but they've signed a multi-year deal. So going forward, means that not only does Compass Racing have support this year, but for future years, if people want to come in and run GTD, they now have a ninth nature to choose from, and they themselves don't have to worry about finding the entry like Ben Keating had a few years ago to run the car as part of the championship. Ben Keating wound up submitting for Viper, paying the whatever it was, I think it was a million dollars, to be able to get Viper eligible to win the championship and Dodge. Well, McLaren has stepped up and done that. So it's going to be very attractive for people coming into the offseason thinking about maybe shifting manufacturers, which, let's face it, it happens every single year. Now you've got McLaren, and they've got a great team behind them with Paul Holton and Matt Plum driving their cars. They're going to be putting on a show when we get to Ohio next week. Uh, okay, we've also got news of Christina Nielsen. Yeah, really cool to see Christina back cat car with Cat, uh, the Caterpillar-sponsored car. There's a new sponsor for them as well. So you've got Exxon Mobil joining in. There will be Mobile One stickers on the car. So uh, giving us a little bit of a flavor before we get over to the mall will be a nice addition to friendly faces in the paddock. Um, so that's going to be really exciting. In terms of that car, it should be very strong. They were second last year in the race, Alvaro Parent and Cat Leg. No BOP changes for the Acura, which is really interesting coming out of Sebring. Uh, there were BOP changes, though, announced earlier. Nothing from prototypes or GTLM, as is to be expected. We go from Sebring to Long Beach, which is sort of a, an odd track to figure out your cars on. But for Mid-Ohio, we have in the GTD class. So we did have a couple of big changes there. For Well, as I've put it, dieting works. Uh, the Audi, which everybody who drove an Audi at Sebring complained, was way too heavy. They've been on a massive diet. They've lost 25 kilos since we've last seen them in the middle of March. It'll be really good for that car. And we've got a couple of teams running the Audi this weekend. We've also got a diet for the Mercedes AMG and a slightly large restrictor for them. So they're 20 kilos down. And that's going to make Bill Riley very happy because he thought they were going to use this car in a straight line at Sebring because of the additional weight. That will be a change that will help. Unfortunately for the Lamborghini team, 
Well, Easter was kind. They have gained 30 kilos, which is a lot of weight. So that will affect teams such as It's like as carrying Magnus. you around in the car, Shay. Yeah, almost. Half of me, maybe. Yeah, so it's going to be Magnus Racing, Paul Miller Racing. 30 kilos, though, that's basically a bit of a penalty, in effect, for Grasp winning both of the first two races. But I do have to say, you look at how strong the Magnus team was at Sebring, you can't deny that something had to give there. A little bit of fuel changes for some of the cars as well. A liter less for the Lexus and the Lambo. So the L car is penalized in that case. The Mercedes gains two liters and one more for Porsche. So it's going to be very interesting when we get out there to see just how even everybody is around the two and a bit miles of mid-Ohio. So you mentioned how many cars there were going to be in the paddock at mid-Ohio. Uh, let's take a look at the entry list in a bit more detail. Let's start with the WeatherTech Sports Car Championship. 36 of them. Yeah, and this is going to be a lot of fun. So we were expecting the two LMP2 cars to come back, get them out of the way first, because there are only two of them, so it's really easy to get through. Um, the biggest thing from them is that we have Kyle Masson, Cameron Castles, who are the points leaders after the Sebring win. They're back in for performance tech. Eric Luck is filling in Gabriel, who I mentioned earlier. He will be joining Matthew McMurray in the Matheson car. So that's it's not the biggest class, but it only takes two to make this. And those are four drivers who are all going to be very, very strong. In DPI, we're waiting on the second driver. Hey, wait a minute. Haven't we already talked about waiting on a driver for Yunkos? Yes, we're doing that again. Waiting on the second driver for Yunkos to join Will Owen. And we're waiting to find out who Harry Knoll's replacement is going to be with Jonathan Bomarito in the 55 Mazda. Other than that, pretty status quo in the prototypes. When we get to GT cars, though, that's where it gets a bit interesting. And I don't mean in GTLM because that's exactly what we expected. It's the eight cars, the normal casting crew. And again, only one driver who has never been to the racetrack before. That would be Tom Blogfist. So he's going to be wearing that badge all year long in GTLM. But for GTD, we went a little bit earlier on this week. Star Wars confirming that purchase be in asterisk the rest of the season almost because he still is waiting on sponsorship for four races, but he's in the rest of them. So we're really happy for that. He's going to be a good combination with Ryan Dial. The two of them ran together last year in World Challenge with a lot of success. So they should be strong coming to mid-Ohio. And, of course, with the Audi weight break, they should be a lot more competitive. We did not see the PPM Lamborghini on the entry list, but that doesn't necessarily mean they're not running. It just means we haven't seen them on the entry list yet. The story that I'm possibly most excited for today who is replacing Patrick Lindsay in the Park Place Porsche? Because know that when you put Patrick Long Porsche, it's going to go well. It's a good record at Mid-Ohio. Who's a really, really fast silver driver who's available? Hmm. Is it another Some Patrick, wine. or have we run out of Patricks? I, I think we're going to just call him Patrick all weekend. I think that will wind up happening. But uh, he's a very sneaky, fast German guy who's done well in Porsche before. So he could well be called Patrick. Very well could. And I think I am going to start calling him Patrick Seafried this weekend. Oh, Marco. Uh, Marco no more. The, the artist formerly known as Marco, I think we'll call him. Uh, he is filling in. It's going to be a exciting combination to see how the two of them get on. We've also got an additional car coming in, as, as we mentioned earlier, uh, Compass Racing McLaren. 
But Lone Star Race has entered a Mercedes-AMG for Gar Robinson and Lawson Oshaback. That's going to be another fun car to watch. Gar has had success at Mid-Ohio before Trans Am. He's really good around the technical tracks. And then you put Lawson anything, and that's going to be fast. So this will be dark horse to keep an eye on throughout the course of the weekend. Okay, so that's the uh, WeatherTech Sports Car Championship. Uh, we've got pretty much a full set of uh, IMSA championships here, though. So we have the Michelin uh, Pilot Challenge as well, 37 of those, so an even bigger field. Yeah, and uh, we've got three GS cars, so eat your heart out, but 14 TCRs. That's going to be where the fun happens, because so far in TCR, and remember, I haven't seen these cars for already five weeks at the point. It's still going to be another week before we get them out on track. It's been a total domination in TCR as far as the race results go by Shelby Blackstock and Tom O'Gorman in their haunt TCR. But we've got some more competition. You've got Alex Popoff and Mark Fame teaming up in one of the two Alpha Romans. That's going to be a very good combination on paper. They're both guys who are very good in prototype challenge cars, and I mean PC cars, from ALMS days, the Orca 09, they could very, very easily work well together and just sort of sneak their way up through the field. As long as those cars stay out of their technical issues, which they have been dealing with some teething problems early on. And we've got Arc Motors Audi RS3 entered in. That's from Marco Cironi and Remo Rossetti. That car was the one that snuck through with the Michelin Encore right at the end of the race. So this is their first race in the season but already well published within the way that IMSA works. And they're both going to be very strong. So Team Canada might just come through there. And in terms of GS, it's basically the field that we were expecting to see. The only other big surprise that I noticed actually when I was listening to you and Nick talking was the fact that we don't have any Multimatic Mustangs on the entry list as of yet. That's a big surprise to me because typically Ford has been using that program to sort of train their Xfinity and truck drivers in preparing for later on in the season well mid ohio is a track that they go to in the xfinity series so you'd think that they would want to run the two cars and get some of their younger through give them an opportunity to figure out the track but they're not on there as of yet and there's only one aston martin uh, by automatic racing and that is for rob eckland jr and brandy kid now remember they only have one of the new gt4 cars still it's a little sad to see just the one car to us when we had three at daytona and uh, you mentioned Multimatic there. Of course, they were uh, in action on this side of the Atlantic uh, on Bank Holiday Easter Monday because they were at uh, Alton Park uh, for the British GT Championship with, uh, I was going to say Andy Pro, Sebastian Prio uh, driving one of those cars. And our regular uh, 2016 BS champion of what was then the Continental Tire Sports Car Challenge, Scott Maxwell. And didn't they wind up on the top step, Tim? Uh, well, in race one, uh, no, they didn't. Uh, oh. The first race was uh, won by um, Rick Parfit Jr. and uh, Seb Morris. But in race two, I need to click there. Uh, <laughs> they didn't win that one either. Johnny Cocker won that one. Oh, well, I like Johnny Cocker, so that's okay. Um, yeah, I thought I had something, but oh, Sebastian and Sebastian. Oh, but of course, they're a GT4 car, aren't they? So they did win. Yeah. Yes, they uh, they were the top GT4 car. Uh, Excellent. But 10th overall. 
well done on them. And we do still have 50 more cars that are going to be run at Middle Ohio. Ohio. Okay, so we obviously have uh, some IMSA prototype challenge cars, lots of them. 24 of them, a very good field. And as I was going through to uh, write them down to take notes on them, a lot of them have already run this year at Sebring and Daytona with very few driver changes. So that's going to be good for that hour and a half race on Sunday morning. Uh, yeah, it's, it's really good to see. And uh, we also have uh, 26 cars in the Porsche G3 Cup Challenge. Yes, 18 of them running in the platinum category, eight in the gold. So the older cars are the gold cars. Um, but we've got a lot of those 18 platinum cars are actually in the platinum masters category. Uh, the last time that they ran was at Bar Motorsport Park, their season opener. So John, Jerry, and I have not actually seen them race yet this year. It's going to be really exciting to get to Mid-Ohio and see if Roman DeAngelis, who swept both races of the first weekend of the championship, if anybody is going to step up and challenge him. Because, of course, you can tell a lot more when you're there in person and you can see just what you're capable of in sessions like qualifying as opposed to the race. Okay, that covers uh, Mid-Ohio, which is next weekend. Uh, but also next weekend, the World Endurance Championship is heading for Spa. Uh, and there's one uh, notable driver who won't be going to Spa and also won't be going to Le Mans. Yeah, um, I was going to say not going to Spa would be Renger van de Zander, but uh, no, he's missing that race again too. Um, that would be Mr. Jensen. He has stepped back from the BR Engineering uh, S&P race car for daddy duties. His other half, who will be very, very much pregnant uh, at the time of the 24 Hours of Le Mans, you could tell that there was a little bit of yeah, she's not going to like me so much if I leave for two weeks in a row in the middle of June when it's hot and she's very pregnant. Um, he has stepped out of the role for which has really thrilled his fill-in because Stiffy Van Dormier has stepped in and uh, Stoffel Van Dorn, a gym driver himself, getting to race at Spa in the six-hour race, that's going to be a very cool experience for him. And then, of course, making his Le Mans debut come the middle of June it, he's he's going to be a pretty capable driver to uh, take up Jensen's shoes. Uh, we've also heard, uh, in terms of Le Mans news, uh, the entry list for the Road to Le Mans race that supports the 24 Hours. Now, these are mainly cars that are racing in the uh, Michelin uh, Le Mans... I was going to say Challenge, is it a cup? Michelin Le Mans Cup. Mission in the Mon Cup, yes. Yeah. Uh, but we now know all 50 of them, so uh, anyone notable in there? Uh, quite a few notable drivers um, and teams as well, I do have to say. There were only two teams that had little blank spaces next to their names as opposed to, as to say, championship they came from. And that's for pretty good reason. One of them is Frederick Saussay's team. You might remember Frederick as the guy who ran in the Garage 56 car and finished the race. Uh, Frederick, who lost his limbs due to an illness uh, many years ago. And what a fantastic guy. I remember meeting him uh, those years ago. But he's from the team, so he'll have two drivers running uh, for him. 
And then also the other team that stood out was a Bentley uh, team. I think it was uh, Team Africa, Bentley GT3. Now, does this one matter? Well, it's drivers. is none other than Jan Lammers. So that's a pretty good uh, reason to let somebody into the race. And there are four reserves, so they should have a full list even so. But you can't really be too upset if you're on the reserve list and didn't make it because either Frederick or Jan took your spot. I mean, those are two pretty good guys to come in second. Indeed, Jan Lammers. Uh, I thought maybe we'd seen the last of Jan Lammers at Le Mans, but uh, clearly not, and he's finding other ways to race there. Uh, what yeah. other names have we got uh, on this list? I've seen a um, few that I recognise. Yeah, so you've got the guy who beat John Hindoff in the GT4 race at Circuit of the Americas, uh, named Hunt, uh, Freddie, this one. Um, so that's, that's going to be exciting. He's driving a prototype. Tom Alonso Cole in a GT3 Mercedes, always a good bet. Flick Haig, who's a Radio Le Mans uh, regular and favorite. He's always great in GT4 at Martins. And Howard and Ross Gunn teaming up in an Aston Martin. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mikkel Jensen, who is actually a BMW junior, so it's going to be interesting to see what he can do in an LMP3 car. The formidable duo of Matt Bell and Jim McGuire, man, they've proven to be the duo. And quite a few names that stick out to regulars. Charles Negri and his driving partner, Francesco Piovanetti. He's been coaching Francesco for quite some time. This is them getting their toe into Circuit de la Sarthe to see how Francesco wraps his mind around it, just in case they might want to go back for the 24-hour race next year in a couple of years. You've got Nico Ronde, you've got Rob Hoden, and Garrett Grist. I mean, there are quite a few reasons to tune in if you're an American fan and just looking at the entry list, but 34 cars from the Michelin Le Mans Cup, 12 running from ELMS, and in GT3, just a wet appetite of the people out there, you've got Mercedes-AMG, Ferrari, Lamborghini, Aston Martin, Bentley, and Porsche. And then the LMP3, you've got 20 Ligiers and 13 Normas. That is going to be the perfect way to start our Saturday morning when it comes to Le Mans. I'm sure you're looking forward to that. Uh, Before we say goodnight, we need to uh, go back to a story that we uh, couldn't really cover last week because we knew nothing about it, but an hour after we finished, <laughs> uh, all was revealed. It's the rules for the uh, NASCAR All-Star race this year. Uh, how convoluted have they made it? You've got about two minutes to explain this. Okay, well, if in terms of being convoluted, it's not that bad. There's two technical elements that can be running on the cars that might then translate over to the next generation of race cars. Basically, it's a new split and radiator that go in toward the engine instead of uh, out the hood, or I might have gotten that the other way around. But it's going to be four segments, 30 laps to start, two 20s middle, and then a 15-lap segment again. Last year, it was only 10. Here's the kicker. Only green flag laps count in the final segment. So if you're running for five laps under caution, you still have to do 15 more. And there will be an unlimited number of green-white checker attempts are going to try and end it under a green uh, lap. But unlimited number of attempts means that basically you could have a car that's running with one wheel crossing the finish line. You're going to have an open where... Drivers can try to earn a spot in the star race. Three of them will. Those The open will be a 20-lap, 20 20-lap 20 lap segment. One driver will get in from a popular vote. So 
that's going to be something to keep an eye on for the All-Star, which comes up in about a month. Okay, that's um, pretty convoluted. Uh, <laughs> and uh, I'm sure when it comes around, uh, we still won't understand how it works. Uh, but for now, Shay Adam, uh, thank you very much. And we will speak to you next week in Mid-Ohio. Thank you very much, Tim. And that's all we've got time for. Really? Yeah. That's flown by. I can't believe it. Well, hopefully, uh, this time next week, I'll be talking to you from Mid-Ohio um, as we're getting ready for the next round of the IMSA series. And uh, we've got a bit of an inside story as well to come uh, from uh, that side of the world as well. Uh, plenty of content coming in the next few weeks as well from Bathurst as we've revisited the Australian National Motor Museum. So keep your ears open for that. And we've got a real world road test of the Porsche GT3 Touring, the 991 Gen 2 4 litre car. That's all to come as well. But thanks to everybody for, for tonight and being on the show. Tim Gray put it all together, our executive producer up in London. And there's no time to explain because the llama is looking for a passport. This programme is a Radio Show Limited production. Tell your friends there's more at RadioLamont.com.